Chapter 14 of Dawn of the Morning. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Like Many Waters. Dawn of the Morning by Grace Livingston Hill. Chapter 14. We are almost home, said Charles joyously. He felt that it was a very happy moment. Oh, are we going to your home, she asked, catching her breath and wondering what that meant. Why, yes, didn't you know? I suppose Mrs. Van Rensselaer would tell you all the plans. She said you did not wish to come down to talk them over beforehand. I know, said Dawn, a shadow creeping over the happy face. I cannot. She looked at him with appealing eyes as if she knew he would understand. I understood, he answered her. You had been through too heavy a strain, a shock. He paused. She looked puzzled and wondered how he knew that her marriage was a shock to her. Was it because his eyes understood her from the first? Was it a kind of spirit-understanding spirit? Dawn was not a philosopher, but something like this flashed through her thoughts. But she told me nothing. Indeed, I did not ask. Perhaps it was my fault, she added. Certainly not, said Charles vehemently. It was her business to tell you the plans. I expressly asked her to do so after we had them all arranged. I asked her to see if they had your approval. I should not have made any arrangements without it. Oh, Dawn had never had her approval of anything asked in her life. She could scarcely understand why it should be done. It was very nice, but how and why did this delightful person seem to have the arranging of her plans? It was all a mystery, but she could not ask about it now before the coach driver. Perhaps the future would unravel the mystery. Just how much did she tell you anyway, asked Charles, lowering his voice as much as possible to make it confidential without actually putting it beyond the hearing of the driver. Dawn considered. Why, I don't really think she told me anything, she said at last, half apologetically, except how to behave during the ceremony. I think it was my fault, I really do. She said I ought to go down and talk it over, but I said I didn't need to go, that I wanted to be by myself at the last. I suppose she thought I didn't care about the arrangements. I never thought I had anything to do with them, anyway. I thought that was all fixed, like everything else. There was a sad little droop to the corner of her red lips, which gave Charles's heart an unhappy twinge. The driver turned a suspicious eye toward them, and they sat silent for a while, Charles thinking it over, and being somehow depressed that she should feel so about their marriage. To her, of course, it must be somewhat of a forced thing, but to him it had been all joy until now, when he was suddenly brought face to face with the situation as he thought he saw it. Dawn was going over sadly all their bright, beautiful day together and thinking, wondering, how near it was to the end, and whether she would ever see this dear companion again. She treasured every moment of his company, even when they were silent together. Every glance, every syllable, yes, every kiss and gentle touch of his hand, even while she dimly perceived, and chided herself, that this was not the right attitude for a bride of a few hours to have toward a man who was not her husband but to her it was like stolen sunshine to a lifetime prisoner. She felt she must take it, as it would never pass her way again. All the same, her conscience was beginning to trouble her, for she was naturally a right-minded girl, and in spite of the fact that her ideals of married life were not as some girls, she had her own ideas of what should be. She turned toward him suddenly. I want to tell you how much I thank you for this beautiful day, she said, her heart in her eyes. It is the best day I ever had, I mean our part of it. I was afraid I might not have another chance to tell you. The dusk was growing deeper now, and dim lights ahead showed that a town was not far away. 
Charles reached out his hand and took hers gently in his own, hiding them both under his coat on the seat between them. The driver was looking the other way, hunting for his big tin horn, wherewith to announce his approach somewhere, and had not seen. "'Dear, you dear,' Charles murmured softly in her ear, "'but there'll be plenty of chances to tell me everything soon now.' "'Oh, will there?' she said joyfully. "'I was afraid there wouldn't be. "'Did you think we were going to spend our days in a coach?' he laughed. Don's hand trembled in the big comforting grasp and longed to settle down and take strength from it, but she knew she ought to put a stop to this, and she sat shrinking and pondering how to draw away her hand without offending her kind friend, who, in spite of his frank, true eyes, seemed not to have a thought, but that the course he was pursuing was perfectly right and proper. It all puzzled her more and more as she felt the approach of the moment when she must meet her unwelcomed bridegroom. A long blast on the driver's horn sent a startled shock through her slender frame, and instantly Charles's grasp on the little timid hand tightened, as if he would enfold her in his greater strength and soothe her fears. She was glad it was dark, for she was sure there were tears in her eyes, yet she dared not lift her other hand to wipe them away lest he see her. With a swirl and a lurch the coach turned in at an open gateway and drove furiously up to a wide farmhouse on a hill behind a circle of elm trees. The driver jumped down and began to unfasten a trunk from behind. Dawn could not see whether it was her own or not, but she took heart from the fact that Charles sat still and steadily held her hand, and that other people were climbing out of the coach below and talking to a man and woman who came out of the big hall door in a stream of light to greet them. This was not her new home yet, then. There were still a few moments more of grace before her doom should fall. Now she must know. It was her only chance. In a moment more the driver would be back beside them, and perhaps the next stop would end their ride. She leaned over close to Charles and whispered in his ear, Tell me quick before the driver comes back. Will he be there? The tears were trembling on her lashes. She was glad she was not on the side of the coach next to the house. Will who be there, dear? murmured Charles, marveling at the sweetness of having her so close to him. "'Oh, don't you know?' she said desperately, as if it hurt her to speak the name. "'Why, my, Mr. Winthrop, Mr. Harrington Winthrop.' It was a pitiful attempt to put into the name the dignity that her position as wife demanded. She was scarcely more than a little girl, and her situation was terrible to her. Charles started and looked down at her. Was she still wanting to see the man who had sought to do her so terrible an injury, or was she dreading to see him?' He looked at her and saw fear written in her eyes, and his heart was touched. However she might have felt toward Harrington before, of course now she dreaded having to meet him after what he had done. But whatever had put into her head the idea that he would be there, how strange of Mrs. Van Rensselaer not to have told her that Harrington had gone away on the train with his wife. No, he will not be there, he said almost harshly. I doubt if he is ever there again. There was something in his tone that Dawn could not understand, but she must find out quickly what it all meant, though she was trembling now from head to foot, and scarcely knew what question to ask next. It was all so strange and mixed up. Then where, where will I have to meet him, she asked, grasping his arm with her free hand and watching his face as if her very life depended upon the answer. Charles looked down at her with his whole soul in his eyes. Never, dear, never. I will guard you from that at least. Oh, why? cried Don, more than ever bewildered by his words. Why, but how can you? Hasn't he the right? Wasn't I married to him this morning? Nobody can keep us apart now, can they? The minister said, till death do you part. A long, slow shudder passed over her as she spoke, 
and though her words were low, lest someone hear, her tone was like the cry of one who had given up for lost. Forgetting the people who were clattering joyous welcomes below, Charles put his arm close about her as if he were shielding her from a present terrible danger. He looked into her face and spoke in low, firm tones. I don't just seem to understand you, dear, but you mustn't be so frightened. There isn't anything in the world to be afraid of. I will try to make everything just as you want it. But how can you? Don's breath came in short sobs. She was almost at the limit of her self-control. Will he let you? Will it be right? Dear, listen, I don't know what you mean by some of the things you have said. I'm afraid all the trouble has upset you. Perhaps you have a fever. No, no, said Dawn, almost impatiently, for she saw that the driver had landed the trunk on the piazza and was preparing to come back to the coach, and that some of the passengers were climbing in again. There would be but a moment more. It is that I do not understand, she added, and her voice was very steady. She felt as if she must make her meaning plain now. I was married to him this morning, and now he has gone away somewhere, and you say I need never see him again. He went away just after the ceremony. They said his mother fainted, and he took her away. I have not seen him since. What does it all mean? I do not understand. It's like some awful dream. Charles's heart sank in horror as he listened to her words. Had she lost her mind, or more awful yet, had she in some mysterious way been married to him without knowing it? The latter seemed almost incredible, yet if it were true, what sorrow might it not mean to them both? Poor child! He must be very gentle with her, whatever were the case. And meantime, the driver's foot was upon the wheel. Charles leaned over as if to tuck the linen robe about her to protect her from the dust and whispered, You were not married to him at all, don't you remember? Do you mean I was not married then? But I heard the minister say the words, I pronounce you husband and wife, and what God hath joined... Don shuddered again. I heard it. I didn't look up, but I heard it. You needn't be afraid to tell me the truth. I will not cry or anything. The driver plumped down on the seat with a loud laugh at some joke the old farmer was getting off, and vowed he would be late if they kept him any longer, that he must go around by Applebee's and Deacon Forsyth's yet, and it was almost dark. Then with another hearty laugh he chirped to his horses, and they strained and started, and with a lurch and a swirl of the coach they were flying down the stony road to the gate again, and there was no more opportunity to talk unheard. Dawn braced herself to endure the awful certainty that her question had put into tangible form, and Charles, as he took hold of the little trembling hand once more with a reassuring pressure, sought in his mind for something to say which should calm her fears and at the same time not enlighten the driver as to their subject of conversation. "'Don't worry,' he said in a tone that tried to be light and gay. "'I'll explain it as soon as we get home. Meantime, do you want to be told where we are?' And he launched into a voluble description of the people who dwelt along the road. Don understood and kept silent except for a monosyllable now and then to keep up appearances before the driver, and presently the coach halted again before the gate of another farmhouse, where the gleaming candles from the many-paned windows testified to the comfort of the inhabitants. To their relief, the driver jumped down again to deliver a big package, and they had another moment to talk. "'Wasn't I married at all, then? Tell me quick, please,' she pleaded, the minute the driver had left them. "'Yes, but not to Harrington,' he said gravely. He had not yet decided how he ought to tell her, or whether he had not better wait until they were at home, lest it make her ill." It seemed so strange for her to talk in this way. He paused an instant and looked keenly into her face, but the light from the coach lantern did not shine in the right way for him to see her clearly, and it was dark now. He did not see the wave of relief that swept over her anxious face. 
Oh, she gasped, as if a great burden had suddenly been lifted from her and she could breathe the free air again. Oh! And for a minute she could think of nothing else save that she was free from the man she had come to dread almost more than death. How it came about, or what else might have happened, must stand in abeyance until she could take in this great soul-reviving truth. She was not married to Harrington Winthrop. Charles waited an instant, and then, seeing that the driver would soon be back, and that Don was not going to ask a question to help him on, he spoke again. Don't you remember, Don? His voice lingered over the name, the first time he had used it, and it went through her heart with a wonderful thrill. Don't you remember that you and I were married this morning? Oh, was it you? Don's face shone up at him out of the darkness, but he dared not interpret the look. The driver suddenly jumped up on the seat and started the horses on again, but Don clasped her hands close about his arm and clung to him in the darkness, her whole soul surging with gladness. He held her arm close to him within his own, but his heart was beating anxiously to know what effect this would have upon her and whether she remembered now. At last she ventured the question, for how could the driver attach any significance to such simple words? Are you sure? Sure, he answered gravely and added as if he could not keep the words back. Are you glad or sorry? Oh, glad, glad, instantly came the words, and then they said no more, but let the joy and the wonder of it sweep over them. They were both very young and very happy just then, and what are hows and whys to such as they? The lights of the village grew closer and beamed past them, and in a moment more, with a rattle and flourish, they drew up before the old Winthrop house, a beautiful colonial structure with lights in all the windows and a festive air about it that made all the passengers in the coach look out and wonder. A shout of laughter and here they come was heard from the house and Betty in white with blue ribbons all in a flutter came flying down the path of light from the open door to greet them. I'll explain it all when we get by ourselves, dear, whispered Charles, leaning over her again as if to see if she was leaving any baggage behind. Don't worry, just be happy. Oh, I will, laughed Don joyously, but how did it ever come to be true? And then as she got down from the coach, she was instantly smothered in Betty's open arms. End of chapter 14